is a Find Infinity podcast live from Sherwood in Queenstown, New Zealand with Sam Chapman, the owner and main man behind uh, the Sherwood Queenstown. Hi, Sham. <laughs> Hi, Sham. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> excellent, excellent. How are you? Oh, great, thanks. And I think thanks... Um, in the introduction, I, I should preface that I'm one of the owners and chief leaf raker rather than main man, but anyway, <laughs> very kind. There you go, being, being your usual humble Kiwi self. Mm. The, the, so, I mean, I guess the probably the main reason that I really wanted to interview you on the show but at the moment is that around the world there's far too little examples um, of what the future should look like and I think this is an amazing example of um, culturally how you can kind of make sustainability work and I also think it's going to be really interesting to hear your viewpoint on the practicalities of um, sort of environmental extremism in a hotel and doing all of the great things and what the, the environmental and or more so economic thresholds are. Um, you got a pretty interesting uh, sort of viewpoint on all of these topics, don't you? I mean, we've got a point of view, uh, probably. Uh, it's, I'm not sure if it's for me to say if it's interesting or not. <laughs> so I'll, ask, I'll ask your listeners. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, we, I guess our, we've got a viewpoint that's probably developed as we've gone along. You know, there was um, no real clear plan or desire to kind of probably go as deep as we have when yeah. we originally set out. You know, it was born out of practicality, and I don't know if I'd call us extremists either. I'd probably say we're just more realists. You know, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Um, I think we probably come from a, you know, in a similar place to you as shit's got to change, really. So it's just trying to find um, the optimum impact that we can have um, within the sphere of influence that we have, you know, yep. through running a business. Yeah, and particularly um, uh, an area that I think is particularly strong here is the human factor. Um, which there's a lot of people talking about solar panels and, you know, insulation and water treatment plants and all this sort of technology, but there aren't that many people that are um, working well with humans to sort of uh, make some real-world initiatives happen, and I think that's particularly where you guys excel is... Um, You've got these amazing staff that are so well educated. Even though you know the re reality of a resort town, there is turnover, and you guys continually um, training up these amazing people and um, attracting these amazing people that want to come here and be part of what you guys are building. Um, how maybe maybe you could tell me a little bit about your background and how you um, became so good at hospitality and humans in that way because I that for me that's a really strong part of why this place is the way it is because of you and your background oh thanks Russ I think it's actually um it's because we're lucky enough to have you know great people coming through here that makes the place just privileged to be able to um enjoy that really I mean in terms of my background I guess um I grew up on a farm what New Zealander called stations, like a high country station, really remote. Um, and it's funny because a lot of sustainability yeah, in terms of the practices that, say we follow is um, it was stuff that was just done when I was growing up, you know. It was practical stuff. You didn't waste things. You were resourceful. Um, you reused things, you know. Um, and it was common sense. So in many ways it's kind of ironic you know, looking at what we're doing as being in any way new, I think my father, when he visits, kind of laughs that we're making a big deal of it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I was lucky enough to grow up in an environment where um, I guess my the people around us um, 
regarded themselves as being, I guess, caretakers. You know, they didn't, their view of ownership wasn't a um, one where it was about this was your land or your place. It was just you were lucky enough to be enjoying it while you were here, and it was doing what you could to ensure that it was um, going to be, you know, a great place for whoever else was going to be coming after you. You know, mm-hmm. um, people took an intergenerational view. Um, people were resourceful, they were practical. Um, they, you know, they were very aware of the natural environment around you. Um, and I guess I always had an interest in people. I spent, I guess, pretty much my entire childhood scheming on how to get away from the natural environment and into the city. Um, I followed my interests through education and studied sociology. I was, I guess, interested in culture, and my first businesses grew out of that. It was a way to, um, hospitality was a way to enjoy um, the trappings of culture and to create culture without having to pay for drinks originally, you know, how to, we enjoyed throwing parties, we loved music, we loved culture. we love community, and through that, I guess, um, growing a growing understanding of um, the importance and and the power of community, um, and that those learnings really have probably remained at the core of everything we've done since. Um, is after a long period of enjoying um, hospitality kind of as a um, as an unshakable hobby <laughs> um, I pursued uh, an extension of I guess my original core education and, um, as applied at, at, at trade as a strategic planner um, and it's kind of a um, and, and I guess communications at its core, but across the disciplines of design, um, advertising, um, and, and you know even into things like being involved through urban planning, you know providing cultural strategy and things and how to uh, bring life and bring community to a built environment. Um, I've been really fortunate with the projects that I've been able to work on. You know, I've been able to combine, I guess, a career aligned with my own personal interests, and that has taken me to places like being fortunate enough to be able to work on the overarching New Zealand brand, the New Zealand story, um, with the New Zealand government and how we uh, communicate um, what is unique about what we do through our exports, both. Um, internationally, but also back to um, New Zealand businesses. Um, I've been able to work uh, sort of on pan industry groups, um, on large scale sustainability initiatives, um, for instance, um, developing with uh, our largest fishing companies a new sustainable fishing technology which reduces bycatch. and delivers a far more humane, if, if I can use that word with fish, <laughs> <laughs> technology, and which will deliver something of far higher quality. So ideally, we need to catch less. Uh-huh. Um, through to the first um, lamb export brand that has um, environmental, um, animal welfare, and social values at its core. Um, through to, I guess, a lot of arts and culture stuff, working with things like New Zealand Festival and and the like. So, you know, I guess I consider myself really lucky to have been able to um, make a living following my personal interests um, and working on stuff that genuinely feels like it's going to make things better, Mm -hmm. more enjoyable. Um, And, um, yeah, I mean, because there were two... There are two projects that you're involved in along the way that um, you do tend to talk about a bit, which um, were venues, mm. um, the Matterhorn and Mighty Mighty. And um, like it sounds like you have an extremely broad range um, from sort of hospitality through to branding and then strategic planning and sort of 
culture. Um, but I guess this, like the, the Matterhorn and Mighty Mighty, were probably two like big, big moments in your career, I guess, were they? Or yeah, I guess in the dawn that we just golden dawn that we just and wound up, you know, and it's um, had probably just as bigger impact, and it's probably just a little bit more recent, but. Yeah, I mean, tying it back to your original comment, like, um, culture is, in my mind, probably one of the most important things, you know? Um, and if you want to create change, arguably it's the most important thing, you know? You can create systemic change, you can use technology, but at the end of the day, it's about the people that you need to convince to embrace that technology or to embrace those systems. Mm -hmm. um, Culture is enduring, um, and it is also um, the thing that allows you to be unique, you know, because people can copy your systems. They can um, copy your technology, um, you know, and the likes of what we do, they can find the same glasses, mm -hmm. the same, uh, they can fit their places out the same, they can, you know, find the same soundtrack. But at the end of the day, the hardest thing to be able to copy is culture as well. Yeah. So, um, that can be powerful in that sense too. And I think, um, you know, so that's what we've really focused on um, pretty much Hi. with everything that we've done. I'm just going to move this off and I'll leave you to it. I just have a class at 10, so I'm just going to leave this here. No worries. That was just a little uh, preview from our um, uh, yoga sponsor. <laughs> uh, and we'll be back to the show in just a moment after a few poses. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so we're, we're at the Sherwood. Um, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about how this place came about? So you, post Golden Dawn, I guess it was, or? Yeah, um, this place, I, I guess, I mean, I, I could probably tell you my personal Love journey, yeah. journey into it, which might be, you know, the, the simplest way in for me, and it's something that I can probably talk about in the most authentic fashion. Great. I think each of us kind of had our own way in, you know? Because um, what, there are three of you guys? Yeah, yeah like I said, at, at a working partner level. Yeah. yeah there were. Um, for me personally, I was probably about ready to put away hospitality forever. Uh -huh. Like it had kind of felt, I felt really lucky that I'd been able to have a really great run and, and you know, right up to pretty much the last of it, really love what I had been a part of. Um, and walk out with my shirt and my family and all my <laughs> friendships intact. Um, there was, I guess there was one challenge that we'd always talked about, we'd love to do, um, though, and that was a hotel. And um, we started, a conversation started probably almost three years before Sherwood became, you know, certainly a, a, a realistic proposition, let alone a real thing, and um, with the return of a, a, a good friend, in fact, Paul, who you met, from the US, and it was the time, the, it was the, the start of, I guess, the rise of the independent hotel, again, the likes of Ace and stuff, you know, it was, it was becoming an exciting um, idea again, and it was just sort of walking around a city environment, looking at, you know, great buildings and going, fuck, wouldn't it be great to, um, you know, convert something. And that series of conversations, um, led to um, a first conversation with, you know, one of our current business partners today, Adam. So, because you were based in Auckland at the time? Yeah, that's right. So I was working, you know, we had Golden Dawn running, which is, again, it was kind of, it was an art project, really, that just went on and on. It was intended to be a pop-up. Um, it ran for eight years, and I was working um, as a consultant, you know, it was I was doing largely sort of high-level government work at that stage, so um, amazing work, but, you know, kind of dry at the same time. Um, and then um, I was in business, part, uh, in business with Stephen, who's our um, third partner here. Um, we shared the business of Golden Dawn. Um, and Adam was originally a friend of Steve's. 
um, Adam came from a kind of like a non-traditional pro property background and um, a lot of his original work was putting together um, investment around hotel projects and things so he obviously understood a lot more about it the, at least the back end um, than us and just sort of being generally enthusiastic and you know loving the idea I guess we'd always you know the, the core of what we did was inhabiting spaces interesting spaces you know and a lot of our first stuff started out temporary you know taking over abandoned shopping malls through to um, ambulance buildings through to you know more permanent sites and um, so it was in many ways it was kind of dreaming in the same way that we did when we were kids you know and those conversations grew from looking at buildings to actually investigating okay what would be involved in purchasing one um, we actually spent you know on and off probably a couple of years having a look at a, a couple of potential options um, and what, you were looking all over New Zealand, were you? Or? No, we were looking um, predominantly where we were at that stage in yeah. Auckland. You know, I guess we always envisioned um, an urban site, really. Um, you know, in our mind, that was, you know, it was close to where we were. Um, Auckland, I would say still, for anyone out there that's thinking about it, I think it's still a huge opportunity for a great independent you know, hotel. Um, the, the time, the, in terms of the context, it was around the time of the GFC, it was getting towards the end, but there was, you know, there were, I guess there were opportunities out there because we didn't have a lot of money. Um, everything that we were kind of looking at was sort of fraught in some way, you know, they were kind of marginal, marginal buildings. They were, um, quite often they were tied up, you know, with something to do with the bank. So there was, it was, it was always complex. And for one reason or another, um, none of them came off. And I guess, you know, life gets busy and I probably stopped thinking about it on a day-to-day -day basis. It was kind of more something to the back of my mind. And Adam had been in Queenstown for some time working on a project and had seen a site down here um, that he sent through to Steve originally um, and said, look, would you guys be interested in having a look at, at this? Um, which we did, and it goes to show that Adam's vision was probably <laughs> superior to mine and that my first response was, you've got to be fucking joking. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, you know, I had always, perhaps being a bit idealistic, I'd always imagined, you know, maybe something more traditional um, a, more of a traditional kind of architectural style that you might imagine for an independent hotel, you know, mid-century modern would have been great. Probably, you know, close to the water or at least, you know, close to a kind of cultural precinct. Um, this was a mid-80s mock Tudor motor in, um, rotten to the core. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> At that time, probably regarded as being in no man's land in terms of the geography of, of Queenstown. Like Plus, halfway between the airport and the city. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, just yeah. a dead zone. Yeah, kind of, you know. <laughs> it was, um, there, was really, there was nothing really interesting going on around it, you know. Uh -huh. It was an island unto itself. Um, and... Anyway, so I mean to cut a long story short, um, after a bit of uh, toing and froing on it, and originally, you know, I, I probably I, I wasn't convinced that there was actually a business in it. Um, ended up finding myself running the joint, and um, yeah, that's where we are today. And you know, I guess again, it's a, um, I think it's a tribute to Adam's vision. Um, and so when you say the joint, I mean, so it was, you know, what is it, a, a 60 room? Yeah, it's 80 rooms. 80 room. 80 rooms. So it's a, it's a good scale. I mean, I think one thing that we always um, knew, we wanted something of a decent scale. You know, I think um, especially sort of independent hotels, um, I think it's very easy to fall into the trap of having something that's a you know a lovely small scale, but um, shit, you can burn yourself out, you know, mm -hmm. and it's really hard yeah. to build a great team. And yeah. I think we've always been highly collaborative in terms of what we've done. We've always, um, 
I guess, benefited from having, you know, talent that's better than we are at what we do around us. Yeah. Um, and to do that, you kind of need a, a certain scale. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, it's, it's a good scale. It's 80, 80 rooms. Um, it's really interesting in terms of the built environment, you know, as a, as a collection of buildings. So it feels more like a, a weird circle of wagons or a, um, a little <laughs> village than it necessarily does like a traditional hotel, which is uh -huh. quite often just in a single building. And yep. the only place you really get energy is the lobby and maybe the lift. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, other places where you kind of bump up against uh, other people yep. occasionally if it's got a reasonable bar, but most hotels don't. So, so you guys, like, rather than, you know, just buying a site or knocking over the existing buildings, you kept the existing hotel. You yeah. kept the existing building, which was a collection of apartments, in effect, or...? No, it was, was... It was running as um, a, a failing motel at that stage, okay. and literally, really, the only people that were staying here were drivers for yeah. tour buses, you know? Okay. They wouldn't even put the tours up here themselves. Yeah, right. yeah, the, the, yeah. The drivers would stay here. Um, it was out of date pretty much the moment it was finished yeah. and it sort of went backwards from there. So, okay. And, um, and like it, what I found interest, super interesting, because I remember the first time I came here, I was like, what is this place? Mm. looked like a kind of like a, a retirement village or something. I'm still asking myself <laughs> that question today, Ross. And then I remember my first moment just sitting down at the bar um, in the restaurant and just like, you know, after being there for about 20 minutes, just not wanting to leave for the next three days. And I didn't. <laughs> um, and I mean, I quickly acknowledge that you guys had sort of um, put the budget that you put towards for your retrofit on um, things that are in line with your values, I think, like, you know, around community space and community focus and the communal areas and um, not necessarily spending your budget on superficial things and, you know, this sort of blowing, blow, you know, introducing the largest solar system privately owned in uh, New Zealand and a whole bunch of budget went towards things that were sort of important and in line with your vision. Is that right? Well, what was the vision for the place and how? what was the approach towards the retrofit? Okay. Uh, tackling a couple of those questions sort of one at a time. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, that, you know, the, the initial vision was just how can we make it work? You know? yeah. How can um, we've, we've got you know, a collection of buildings on a large site, you know, and ironically, many of the things that were probably, you know, if you were to do a traditional SWOT analysis, you know, the, the strengths and weaknesses and all those sorts of things, a lot of the same things that were probably the biggest weaknesses of the site, the biggest challenges, um, treated uh, in the right way, it um, become its biggest strengths. So, you know, there's a huge amount of space. Um, there was a... a a variety of buildings which enable a variety of kind of occupations. So it was how to make something kind of broken really useful and functional mm -hmm. um, and through that make it desirable, mm -hmm. make it a great place to be. Um, so that was kind of the original vision. And then how to do it in a way um, that I guess in some ways um, is highly respectful respectful of the very thing that we rely on um, for our core business, which is the beautiful environment we've got around us, you know, the, you know, the single overarching reason that people choose to come here is because it's a beautiful place, yeah. you know, because of nature. So I guess at the first level, how to do it in a way that was respectful for nature. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was, um, in, in a really simple level, um, how to do a renovation without um, creating undue waste, um, how to use materials that had a low impact, um, how to be resourceful and reuse stuff that wasn't broken. Um, we took a life cycle approach, which was, um, it was kind of pragmatic as well, you know, because it aligned with our budget, you know, it's like, why throw it out? Mm -hmm. you know, um, case in point, you know, um, sort of dusky rose pink vanities that um, would look horrifically out of place in most environments, but um, 
you know, we can never change the fact that this is some 1980s mock Tudor motor room, and to be honest, a rose pink vanity kind of seems more fitting than uh, something that was brand new at mm -hmm. the time, and they still work, you know. Um, and I kind of like rose pink in a funny sort of way. Um, so that, that we did a lot of work behind the walls, you know, just trying to make the place healthy, you know. I guess we're inviting people to come and, come and stay. And, um, like, you know, if you're inviting people into your own home, you want to make sure the environment is really healthy. So Sam and I have just relocated out to hang out with some trees now. <laughs> um, set the courtyard in the fresh air, let the yogis do their thing. So, um, all right, so I see there being sort of two, before I met you guys, you were already doing like a phenomenal number of uh, things that I've always wanted to do in hotels and you guys were already doing them. And I'd sort of see them as broken down in two ways, the hardware and the software. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to tell us a little bit about all the um, sort of, you know, sustainability initiatives you integrate into the hardware first? Sure. So I guess, um like you touched on earlier on, it was really just having a look at the, um, the, the biggest costs in a business. Um, for a start, you know, aside from staff, energy is the biggest cost. So, um, and this was really led by Adam, but um, from an infrastructural perspective, it, um, it really made sense to invest in solar. Um, you know, having um, an environment with multiple buildings with a lot of roof space. Um, we had, uh, you know, good capacity for a solar array. And um, as you said, it was, you know, at the time, it was, I think it was the biggest private install in New Zealand. Um, I guess our goal originally was to see if we could produce 100% of our energy. I think we're um, quite a long way off that, but I think it's still a good investment. Um, in terms of the fit-out, again, like just using, um, I think what we'd probably regard as sensible materials, you know, renewable materials, carbon-neutral materials, recycled, upcycled materials, um, and that's everything from you know, recycled um, French and German army blankets for curtains, you know, they're great, beautiful um, fabric. Um, they've got great insulative acoustic properties. Um, and, you know, just a, a, a really nice solution. They've got a, a beautiful feel in the rooms um, through to things like a carbon neutral cork material instead of uh, plasterboard. You know, again, it's got great acoustic properties, great insulative properties. It's got um, and, a, and a great feel, you know, it's a sort of a, a living material. Um, having a look at, at waste in the early days as well, you know, as an output, um, this is an industry built on consumption, so how to um, encourage consumption in a way that um, minimises waste, so we were lucky enough to um, come across a prototype um, by a digester, uh, which uh, someone hadn't been able to make sense of for their own use and we were able to repurpose here to start dealing with the kitchen waste um, which then you know trying to create a bit of a closed loop through to a vegetable garden which produces around about 40 percent of our um, of our uh, food for the restaurant in terms of vegetables and herbs and and what, there's a BMX track around the outside of that too. Yeah, there, that there is. Interesting a, a bike track. I mean, at the core of the place, it was really just trying to make ourselves useful. You know, um, if we could make the place as useful as possible and activate, you know, as much of uh, the, the space that we had, that would create a better environment for travellers. Which feels like you've pretty successfully achieved. I mean, it seems like it's become the number one live music venue for Queenstown. I don't know if that's incorrect, but it is a great live music venue, though. I mean, yeah, we're getting there. I mean, a lot of the things that, you know, some of the, I think anything you've you got to do, it, if you want to be any good at it, a place to do shit that you actually care about, you know? Yeah. And so, you know... I guess working from the assumption that if we actually did stuff that was interesting to us, then it would be yep. um, 
it would be interesting to other people as well. I mean, in terms of a, the human insight that um, at a cultural level we worked on, which is, sorry, not answering your question, but is important to the place, um, there was a single core insight for us, having never run hotels before, but travelled a bit, and that was the best experiences were those where you don't feel like a tourist. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you broke those things down um, and looked at what was common amongst those experiences, it generally um, was something like um, you tended to be off the beaten track a bit, tend to be discovered sites, um, and inevitably you were surrounded by local people living real lives, you know, eating their food, drinking their wine, listening to their music, um, and for whether it was, you know, 10 minutes while you had a coffee or um, while you had a meal or a day, if you were lucky enough, a day or two or longer, um, you got a sense of what it was to really be somewhere and you didn't feel like a tourist, you know, you kind of sunk far enough below the surface of it. And so at a cultural level, everything we did was about um, trying to create a, a real place here that... Um, was as meaningful for the local community as it was for our guests. And I guess we worked on the premise that if we could create a place where um, local people gravitated to, that was useful for them, that was meaningful for them, that um, encouraged community, then those people coming in for a more traditional, say, tourist experience Mm -hmm. um, would have a far greater experience, because hopefully... um, Perfect. Oh, flat white. Yeah, it was a flat white. I was yeah. thinking. Thank you. Usually. And uh, soy latte for soy me. Latte. Thank you. Perfect. Which is also good timing because there's uh, a good conversation around milk here. Hey. Yeah. Because, I mean, I guess I think what's very interesting to talk to you about with this stuff, like, so um, there's two sort of very specialist areas that I think you know a lot about. And one of them is how to create an amazing culture which isn't which is sort of allowing for sustainability but not about sustainability so you walk into the bar and the bar's basically running zero waste and most people wouldn't even notice that um and you guys are doing so many details from the type of milk and everything being organic to all of the details throughout the you know the cleaning processes and the waste and there's like there's hundreds of areas that we could talk about all the things you're doing i think that's one area that you guys are amazing at and the other one i think that you know a lot about is the economics of how to actually make this stack up and the threshold that you have to deal with to actually run a business to pay staff to be able to operate this place, if, if, you know, like, what what is that like? What What's the challenge like being in Queenstown, trying to set up a business that's doing all the right things and, you know, trying to trying to survive? It's probably the same as it would be doing it anywhere else, I think, really. Um, you know, again, I think um, at the core of it is just trying to be realists, you know, um, for something to be sustainable, it needs to be viable. Uh-huh. Um, so it's constantly trying to navigate um, what are the best choices you can make and how to ensure that they're viable. At the end of the day, you know, it's only the right thing to do if, if it's actually enduring and if it has an enduring impact. Totally. Um, you know, quite often things can, uh, at a personal level, can seem like absolutely the right thing to do, but. Um, if it doesn't stack up, yep. it's not a good idea. Well, so, um, well, so this is an interesting one for me because things like energy, water, like that, you know, usually from a design point of view, you can come up with a technical and financial argument that makes sense, yeah. right? Whereas things like food and beverage, it's it's more of a balance. You know, if you just always get the most ethical, um, thorough, you know, most local products. Um, they're quite often more expensive. And yeah, it's like... totally. I mean, at the end of the day, we're selling something, right? Yeah. And um, the core to that being a success is people actually wanting it. Yeah. And as well as wanting it, they've got to be prepared to pay for it. Uh-huh. And so that's the line that you're constantly having to, um, to navigate, you know? It's finding um, what are the things that people really value that allow us to have a great impact, that allow us to stay true to our values. Um, and do it in a way that's that's viable. And to be honest, you know, for this to be a real success, 
um, we want to be able to prove that this is actually a better business, you know, that, yep. that the best way of doing things is actually the best business as well. So can I interrogate you on a few of these initiatives then? Yeah, you've been yeah. waiting the whole time to get some <laughs> sure. No, no, no. Like, but it's worth going through because, you know, like a yeah. lot of it's not necessarily been documented, but it's like, so tell me as we go through these yeah. things, but like, you know, whether they're for the greater good or whether they're logic, you know what I mean? But it's like beer in, beer in kegs, you know, like you guys don't really do, you do, don't really do bottled beer, do you, to avoid the waste? Or you do some mainly beer in kegs? Yeah, we try and do everything pretty much um, in bulk. To be honest, you know, as much Beer, as we wine. as much as we can, yeah. So we, um, I think, upwards of sixty percent of our wine now is um, we buy pretty much by the vat. Um, you know, the winemakers now three years in are starting to make wine specifically to be um, to be drunk in the way that we present it. So um, you know, we're fortunate enough to be in one of the best wine producing regions, um, certainly in New Zealand. You know, it's renowned for its wine. Um, and it seemed crazy that, you know, when we first started, we'd place an order for that wine, it would be sent to the other end of the country and be sent back to us in bottles. So I guess we were lucky enough to find winemakers that were brave enough um, to be able to take a punt on us, set aside large volumes, uh, hold it in tanks, put it into kegs, drive it up on the back of their truck, and um, we bottle in in-house. You know, we get a product that's um, totally unique. You can't drink anywhere else because that wine is made to be now made to be drunk that way. It's really fresh. You know, it's not made to be aged. It's made to be drunk fresh. You know, which is how wine was originally drunk. You know, you go back to the history of original wine and the start of natural wine bars. That was how it was done. Um, and it reduces transport miles. It reduces bottle waste. You know, we reuse bottles. Um, here, um, our obviously beer is the same, you know, and beer always tastes best like that, fresh, you know, um, or at least you know the predominant styles that we tend to sell do. What, um, what that about, goes right through the spirits yeah. as well, you know, and that actually came out of um, I guess when we first you know really started um, having arguments with you, Ross, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, when you started you know um, pushing us saying you weren't satisfied with how radical we were being. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> you know, I, th I think we had a great um, conversation about um, procurement. And, you know, I think the challenge you put to us at the time was, um, wouldn't it be great if the only thing that enters and leaves this place is people? Um, <laughs> and that... Um, Sounds fucking beautiful, doesn't it? <laughs> um, we haven't quite got our heads around how to run that particular business model, but I guess it's um, what we, what it did do was, you know, force us to question. Okay, well, if we give it another push, what else can we tackle? And so um, that led to um, a conversation around. Okay, if we really looked at our procurement and bar. Um, how, how um, narrow could we get our procurement in terms of distance? Um, the, unlike Australia, um, the, especially the boutique um, independent you know, spirit production is nowhere near as um, mature. So we didn't have, um, if we just limited it to New Zealand products, um, we wouldn't be able to satisfy what the market actually, you know, what our customers wanted. Um, but we went, okay, well, if we called it Antipodean, and went, okay, that's kind of a, a nice geographic ring that we can probably live with for now. Um, what would that deliver? And I think, you know, at the end of the day, it actually delivers um, a really sweet little um, edit of products, you know, that, that has got a point of view. Um, that actually, from a business perspective, is quite a joy because it means you're not carrying excessive products, you know, like our first... Um, our first business Matterhorn was kind of um, maximalism, you know, I think we probably carried like 3,000 products, you know. It was just, it was a, a, enormous, whereas, you know, you look at our back bar here and it is, uh, it's tiny, yeah, but it's really nice. Um, and so then well, going through... of it is Antipodean? Yeah, apart from... <laughs> That's one thing, and I, I don't feel too bad about this because we went to... Um, we were over in Melbourne for a talk and I went to a place called um, Bad Frankie's 
in Melbourne, which is just down from your office, actually. Yeah, yeah. And um, they're pretty radical because they've got 100% Australian spirits. And I was like, okay, well, let's go and have a look at this to see how good this could be. And I was blown away. I mean, it really showed the depth of the industry there. Uh-huh. And it made me, you know, kind of mourn the fact that um, obviously ours was um, far less mature and didn't have that depth. But um, I was intrigued. I actually used this for a, a point of self-justification because when we, the one thing that we tried to source was tequila. And... Um, when uh, I actually went back and had a look at Bad Frankie's list sometime after, I noticed that they carried the same tequila and their justification was that it was dreamt in Melbourne <laughs> and produced in Mexico. Um, and ironically, there actually is a tequila producer in, uh, in New Zealand. Um, they're in Golden Bay. But the only product they sell is like $400 a bottle and I think yeah. it takes them, you know, 10 years yeah, right. to grow the agave and produce it and we just you know, can't justify that. So at this stage, um, yeah, we're using Bert Frankie's rationale um, and that this was conceived at least, you know, it's an Australian business. So that's the closest we can get at this stage. Um, but so, so the only thing that's not antipodine in the bar is tequila? Yeah. Right. Um, well, apart from, uh, see the setting aside wines? Yeah. Um, and then uh, in terms of taking that a step further, um, we found a really great um, Golden Bay-based distillery mm-hmm. um, that now send us their products in, uh, in giant jerry cans. And wow. So, you know, even, even within that, we've found um, producers that can send us bulk, you know, that limit wow. transport and waste, you know. And I think probably, you know, five or ten years ago if um, people thought that, you know, a premium spirit was being sent in, you know, large plastic jerry cans which were sent back to the distillery, uh-huh. you know, it would seem like a really cheap product. But actually yeah. this is a really great product and, you know, we're really proud that they have chosen to change their systems to, to work with us. Wow. Yeah. Wine is still a bone of contention, I think, um, because wine is a really important part of what we do and natural wine in New Zealand is, again, it's quite a small um, scene still in terms of production. Um, We, I guess, have chosen to sort of draw the line at what we've got at the moment. We justify it on the basis that everything we sell is natural wine, so it tends to be small, independent, family-owned businesses. Um, They're producing it in a way that's really gentle for the environment. They tend to be no spray biodynamic or organic, um, small run production and it's shipped. And in many ways this is growing a conversation around, um, you know, a way of farming Mm -hmm. Um, and it's an important conversation and it kind of needs context in some ways to be able to have the discussion, you know, you need to be able to say, well, this is the impact of place and time on a Mm -hmm. particular product and here's one grown in a similar similar geographic region in Italy, for instance, you know, and I think, um, yeah. And I think we can live with that at the moment. I, I think it was interesting because we worked with a great wine mind um, here. And I put it um, when we were sort of doing our thing around our um, you know, our bulk spirits and stuff at the time. It's like, could we just go 100% you know, house bottled wine? And it's like, yeah, but you've become a thing, restaurant. You know? And I think there's a point of truth to that as well. You mm-hmm. know, I think um, we could just become really theming. Which is, which is sort of, you know, I think where this interesting threshold comes about, you know what I mean? It's like you could just put down, you know, from me, the idealistic environmentalist coming in saying 100% of the produce should come from, you know, within 100 kilometres. Yeah. And then, you know, you know your, your audience, you know your target market, you, you know what people are looking for, and it's like you can you have a sensitivity to tell a threshold of how far you should push it for the market to still love this place and want to come back and for it to survive as a business as well, hey? Yeah, I mean, it's a case of... um, It's constant negotiation, really, Mm -hmm. you know, in a way, and it's with our suppliers, it's with our guests, um, it's with our staff, you know, which is something I know you want to talk about. Um, Well, and this is something that I think is such a strong point about the way you guys operate is that it's... It is imperfect, and it is continuing improvement, hey? Like, you guys... Oh, totally. You've constantly um, got to be questioning it. And, you know, both questioning um, in terms of can we do better, but also is it actually the right thing to do? Yeah. You know, are we... Um, 
are we trying to push things that just aren't viable yeah. you know at the moment yeah. and maybe it's going to be 12 months and we come back and we give it another crack you know sometimes it's because um you know a producer that we've been using can't actually make it viable either yeah and so you know we've ended up having to go with a more mainstream brand that might have our values organic but it's not from local yeah. Yeah. and um you know, it's interesting trying to navigate that with our staff sometimes. I mean, one of the most potent things about um, having values at the core of what you do is it became, becomes an amazing filter um, for finding, you know, great team members, you know. People tend to um, be self-selecting um, and, it, you know, it, it provides the advantage of having a really engaged team and stuff. Because um, without a doubt, that's my favourite thing about the place is the people here, and I hear that feedback from everyone that comes here is that it's you know the staff are so educated on what how this place operates, and they all have so much purpose behind what they're doing. And like, how how have you how did that come about? <laughs> like, is that is, I, is I, that you know, it's, it's, it's evolved, you know, like. Um, the, the choices that we made in the early days were, um, they were pragmatic choices, really. You know, it was like, um, okay, kind of what are the best choices we can make? Yeah. Given the environment and the circumstances and the budget and everything else. Um, and in many ways, what the place has grown into has been the result of how people have interpreted that and what they have... Um, what they've really enjoyed and, and what has um, really worked, you know, yeah. it's been reasonably organic in that regard. You know, I think there's been some core themes, but, um, you know, and I think this is a really important part of business. At the end of the day, you need to give things over to your, you know, to your team members and, mm -hmm. you know, and let them work to their strengths and, mm -hmm. and the like. And, um, you know, so things like um, getting a, a restaurant pretty close to zero waste to landfill now has really been driven by a team. Yep. You know, that was that was something that they saw as an opportunity and something they were passionate about. And um, they've led, you know, and I guess we've been ha really happy to support, you know, it's great seeing those things um, well, the, take a life of their own. The extremely exciting part that I heard about that, because, I mean, so the bar's, the bar's been running pretty close to zero waste for yeah. about a year or so now. Yeah, I think we're down yeah. to like half a wheelie bin half per week. Half a wheelie bin per, yeah. bin per yeah. week in the, bit, in the bar? Uh, that's that's oh, pretty that's much right across the, the restaurant. The bar and the restaurant. Yeah, so yeah, I right. think the biggest change was, you know, starting to speak to our biggest suppliers and just navigating how we could remove all plastic from deliveries. So so this yeah. was something really exciting that Liani told me, was that... And this was off the back of, you know, the, again, that last workshop with you, just, you know, someone holding us accountable. Um, well, to, you know, some of our own values, really, and saying, well, you know, how well can you do? <laughs> well, that, uh, so, so, so Liani told me a story about her, you know, once again, continual improvement. Because, yeah, we went through the bins with the with yourself and um, and Fraser for the bar. And then we I came back again and we went through the bins again with uh, um, all the staff. Mm. Um, but uh, in terms of continual improvement, Liani's kept doing that. On a regular basis, and the super exciting thing that she told me that she did was in line with informing the supply chain. But she went through and she she took a photo and she showed your main supplier all the like the the fifty percent or more of the plastics that they were getting were coming from them. And she said the GM came in the next day and said, "How do you want to change this?" Mm. And then you guys have now signed a waiver with them to get all your your products sent without plastics, and that you just have to agree to the fact that they're yeah, it was a hygiene issue a at hygiene the end of the day. Yeah. But you know, being able to say, "Look, we'll live for that. We'll take accountability for washing our own <laughs> our own vegetables and ensuring that things are um, safe to eat and use," um, that wasn't a problem. And ironically, our biggest supplier on the hotel side mm -hmm. was just as easy. Um, we had the, um, and this is a real credit to um, both companies, you know, Bid Food, who are a big, um, you know, they're a big food distribution, mainstream food distribution, you know, made the choice to remove plastic from their deliveries, you know, which it's, you know, core of their company policy around food hygiene. And then on our um, 
laundry side on the hotel, which, you know, is the biggest line item outside staff and energy, really. Um, all our sheeting and things used to arrive wrapped in plastic, you know, and you can understand why it was um, sheets need to stay clean and crisp. And when they're being transported around and loaded in our trucks, um, I guess wrapping them, you know, if you've got a big plastic wrap machine, is pretty easy and pretty efficient, right? Um, and ironically, we had um, the head of their business, the chief executive officer, turn up to run us through their sustainability policy, um, which they had just launched, like literally that week, and he was going around all their key accounts. And we sat down, we went through it, and it's really great what they're doing, you know, it was, it was highly commendable. And um, he was like, you know, kind of, what are you doing here? So we took him through. And he was like, you know what, is there anything else we can kind of do? And it's like, well, yeah, how about this thing? What's the chances of kind of removing plastic, you know, the biggest source of, um, of waste generated by our business on that, on, you know, on, on the, that part of the business is the plastic that comes from, you know, our biggest single delivery each day is your sheeting. And um, again, to their credit, uh, he emailed back the next day and said, right, we're starting a pilot with you, and um, this week we'll, um, we'll be endeavouring to um, deliver all your laundry in bags. Amazing. Um, see how it goes. And, you know, again, I, I, it was... Um, I think we're really grateful that people are willing to put in the effort, you know, on, on businesses that are of a scale that... So, yeah, so you guys being the guinea pig or the trailblazer, being the pilot for these people, like that, and you as the person who's running this place, you know, like is this, is this, how does that stack up for you? I mean, is that like for you to have to work out and communicate with these people and try and change the way that your supply chain works? Do you see that as a cost for your business and um, something that is sort of, you know, slowing you guys down? Or do you think that other businesses should be trying to do that too? Oh, they're the exciting ones, to be honest. You know, they're the really gratifying moments where you feel like you've just, you know, leapt forward <laughs> <laughs> a whole wrong way. You know, in fact, they're the easiest ones, to be honest. Yeah, because um, yeah, they have a, you know, they have a big impact. It's really gratifying. Everyone wins. So how's um, it going then? Like, is your food an issue now that it's not wrapped in plastic? Are your sheets an issue now that they're not wrapped in plastic? Have you got, you know... No, um, we're still going through one particular sheeting type that we're the only people, I think, that get it and there's, some, I think there's a complexity around getting that to us um, clean. But, yeah, I think it's 95% of everything that we get sent in. No, I think... It'll be interesting to have a look at, um, it's really, I think we're month three or month four. We don't have a year-on-year -year comparison mm -hmm. um, against, you know, occupancy to be able to give an absolute clear idea if there's a greater cost in terms of, um, you know, sheeting that may be returned because it's marked or something. Mm -hmm. um, but we'll see. I mean, uh, uh, um, anecdotally, it, it doesn't feel as if it's been yeah. a major impact, you know. Okay. And the, since I was last here, the bin system's changed quite a lot. So the in the rooms, I did notice, you know, there's three different bin types. They're mixed recycling, landfill, and soft plastics. Yeah. And then um, everything in the minibar or the, or the um, you know, the food with the minibar, basically, all of the food in the rooms is, you've thought through your products, so everything's 100% recyclable. Is that right? Yeah, and everything's kind of local and natural. And, yeah. yeah. Um, but, that, I mean, that, all that stuff's reasonably easy to do, you know. You can find... And it tends to be the best product anyway. Uh -huh. um, it's just probably... The, the biggest hurdle with all those things is just making sure that your customers find value in it. You yeah. Because um, there's a certain point where, you, 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 you know, you don't want to be imposing your values on mm -hmm. other people and making them feel less because of it. Um, so... It's just making sure that what you offer has um, enough value for people that they're willing to pay for it. Yeah. And some of, you know, as you pointed out early on, and I think this is probably the, the hardest thing and it's the most constant ongoing negotiation and kind of compromise at times is around um, procurement, really, is trying to um, find products that are the best product that you can possibly find um, that you can actually sell at a value that, uh, at a um, at a price that people find value in it. 
mm-hmm. you know, that um, because at the end of the day, you know, um, it's going on holiday is expensive, you know, yeah. and we want to be as um, accessible to as broad a range of people as possible. You know, we don't really want this to be about having a certain amount of money to come here. It's more about having an attitude yeah. to, and finding value in what we do. Um, so, um, look, there's a price and point. There's Adam, my business partner's wife, <laughs> taking her organic waste to the biodigester. Look at that. Look at that. Okay, Mandy. Um, so, the, I'm aware of the fact that you've probably got other things to do today, so I don't want to take up too much of your time, but maybe you could, we could conclude with you telling me a little bit about the future and where you see the future of this place going. Mm-hmm. And sort of, you know, I think, to me, this place seems like an example um, that is here to create some change and to mess with the future. So maybe maybe interesting to understand your opinion on the future of Queenstown in relationship to this place. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Tough one? I don't know. Well, where, 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 like, what's happening tomorrow? You know, where are you going into the future with this Where place? are we going like, into the like, future you, with this place? I mean, we just want to be as good as we possibly can, to be honest. Um, you know, I, 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 our ambition is to be really fucking good at what we do, you know, and, and on, on an international level. I mean, I think um, at a really simple level, um, it's making um, this place a really, really great business because if we can make it a really, really great business because it's a really desirable place to come, it's a really desirable place to work, um, it's a really desirable place to be, then hopefully we can do more of it, you know? And I think that's where our impact should be measured, you know? It's the quantum impact you have, you know? Um, and that is, you know, really that success. I mean, it's not about, um, it's not a desire to um, become sort of titans of industry or anything, but it's just about to do more good shit, really. Yeah. Work for more great people. Um, do, do you see the work that you're doing here is um, sort of others are following your lead? Is that, have you seen change in Queenstown? In any way, as a result of what you guys are doing, or I mean, who knows? Who knows if it's to do with what we are doing? I think you know, just um, globally, there's a growing awareness. You know that um, you need to be accountable for what you do. Yeah. You know, your choices matter, um, and then there's a you know there is a growing demand for experiences that are delivered in a way that is low impact for the environment or has, you know, got a degree of social good. Um, and I think it's only going to become more important, you know, certainly for the generation probably two below us. It's at the core of everything they do, you know. Um, I think uh, if you talk about uh, the generation beyond, you know, so it was, it's sort of just coming through now, beyond some millennial, I don't know exactly what the term is, Generation Z, beyond millennial. Um, you know, I think you'd ask them and they would say that every business needs to be social enterprise, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be a market well and truly into the future, you know? I think, um, you know, we've got kids. You're kind of thinking about what you're wanting to leave for them, right? Um, and also that they're going to be holding you to account in the not-too-distant future, you know? And uh, I don't want to be sitting at that dinner table and having the borax poked at me for not getting it right, you know? Um, I want to be able to have a good, you know, a good conversation about what we can all do. Um, Yeah, so kind of at that simple level or at a more macro level, you know, at an economic level, it's just, you know, trying to do the best thing. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. Um, it's, uh, it's probably good timing to go for a sauna now, hey? Right, thanks so much for your time, Sam.
Thank you.